0: Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to have my friend and Bible teacher, mentor, Jeff Dorn, in studio. I want to start with a verse. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That sounds like the identity that we want to live in. We have have exchanged our life for His. We're going to talk about our identity in Christ today, who we were, what God did, and who we are. It's going to be a fantastic hour, maybe two. I don't know if we'll be able to get this all in in one hour, but Jeff is always ambitious, and I know he's going to try to cover it well, so it might take an extra hour, but we're okay with that as well. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Merry, Merry Christmas Merry to you. Merry Christmas to you. I love this chart that you have, and I
1: can't wait to get into it. There's so much here. There really is. It's, uh, you know, John 10, Jesus says, the key, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I think most Christians, if you were to survey them and ask them, are you living an abundant Christian life. I I don't know what percentage of the Christians that that we all know would are, you know, would say that I'm living an abundant life. It seems to me that there's a lot of Christians out there that are weighed down, burdened, going through a lot of the same struggles and issues that the world is going through and not living this abundant life that uh, that God describes. Uh, and I and I think many or even most of our issues that Christians are are the result of our not understanding our salvation, not understanding our identity, not understanding this verse that you just described in Galatians 2.20, that our old self has been crucified, and now Christ is our life. You know, we are not just given eternal life when we're saved. We are given a new life right now, and we want to Try to understand as as best as possible this. What does it mean to live the crucified and the resurrected life? Because that's kind of a hard concept to understand. I mean, it's it's Christ who was crucified two thousand years ago, not us. And yet, that's exactly what God says: we have been crucified with Christ. And you actually said this word called the exchange life. You know, Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary back in in the mid eighteen hundreds ish. And I wanted to read a paragraph about him because it kind of describes this struggle that I think many Christians experience today. And it says this about Hudson Taylor. It was there that he founded this Chinese China Inland Mission. Yet in spite of being a Christian for 20 years and directing a successful faith mission, he was still unable consistently to live an effective Christian life. Although a man of great love and zeal for the Lord, that first 20 years of his Christian life were characterized by much toilsome effort. It was during a time of extreme desperation that he discovered the reality of the exchanged life and was transformed. This amazing discovery not come t- did not come until he was 37 years old. Howard, his son, described it this way quote, He was a joyous man now. He had been toiling. Burdened one before and lately, not much rest for the soul. It was resting, he was resting in Jesus now and letting him do the work. A new power seemed to flow from him, and in the practical things of life, a new peace possessed him. It was the exchanged life that had come to him, the life that indeed no longer I, there was no thought of imitation now, it was the blessed reality of the Christ liveth in me. That's the crucified life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You know, I think of two core verses in Scripture. Everybody knows the famous verse John 3.16. You know, we see it at ball games, although, you know, we don't see it much anymore, right? You know, the guy with the rainbow hair and the (laughs) sign John 3.16. I wonder what happened to that guy. But if John 3.16 is the core verse... Of salvation, Galatians 2:20, I think, is this core verse for living this Christian life. You know, the two most important questions that anybody can ask is, "What must I do to be saved?" And actually, someone asked that question in Scripture in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in prison, and you know the story. There's an earthquake, and the, the cell doors open up, and the, the jailer rushes in, thinking that everybody was escaped, and he was going to end up dead because all the prisoners were gone. And Paul says, no, we're all here. And he he cries out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answers with a very simple answer that is repeated in its simplicity over and over and over in Scripture. And that is, he answers him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's John 3.16 in a nutshell. But this next question How now shall I live? Now that I've been saved, how do we live as Christians? Well, the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Well, what does that look like? Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Romans 6 says it this way, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What does this crucified life look like? How now shall I live? I think, I think in the church, I think many Christians have this idea of what it what it means to live the Christian life—an incorrect understanding of what it means to live the Christian life. I think some view Christianity as a, a rules based system. I, I think they see it as a whole bunch of do's and a whole bunch of don'ts, and as long as you just give me the rules, you know, I'll be fine. And I think there's some rule followers out there that, that like that. It's like, just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. And that's what many Christians, I think, think Christianity is all about. Is that compliance or obedience? or I know there's a difference. I, I, I don't think it's proper. I mean, Paul goes into this quite a bit, and he says over and over that we are no longer under the law. He says that he wouldn't have known what sin was except for the law that came. Do not covet. But then he says, when the when the rule came, it stirred up every covetous desire in me. Uh, I remember a story. I was with my my uh, some relatives. Some, they were about ten and eight, and we were at a, a dinner. And there was this little box over in the corner, and I just opened up, and there was nothing in it. And I turned to these two kids because I was teaching a class at the time called Law versus Grace, where Mm -hmm. we talked about all these issues of, do we live by the law under the rules or not? And I was thinking of this verse that it stirred up every covetous desire in me. So I turned to the kids and I said, whatever you do, don't look in that box. (laughs) (laughs) You know what happened next, right? They couldn't wait to look in that box. I had to physically restrain them, mm-hmm. and I finally lost the battle, and they get over there, and they open the box. I think that's what rules do to us. Um, I, I actually use another example in my lobby grace class. i got to say it now that we're talking about this. If you had a construction site in a downtown street, and there was a fence or a wall that you couldn't see it, except there was a, a hole In that fence that you could look through, you could probably watch a thousand people walk by that hole and maybe a dozen would look through it. But if you put a sign above that hole, do not look through this hole. (laughs) How many of those thousand do you think would look through that hole? 500 maybe? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or more, right? Or more, yeah. I mean, that's what rules do. So I don't think Christianity is a whole bunch of do's and a whole bunch of don'ts. Remember, what is the greatest commandment that God gave us? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength, right? The other view I think many Christians have is this idea that, well, God has been added to my life. He now helps me live my life. He comes alongside of me in some way to to help me live out this Christian walk. I remember a friend of mine told me about a book, an older book from the 30s or something, and it says the title of that book was God is My Co-Pilot. And he goes, have you ever read that book, and what do you think? And I said, if God is my co-pilot, I would say switch seats. God doesn't want to be added to your life or help you live your life. Christ is our life. That's the exchanged life. I also think there are some in Christianity who um, who want to live the Christian life by having a low image of themselves, by saying, I need to get lowly, um, and they think it's a form of humility of some sort, and, and God does not call us to think lowly of ourselves. He definitely doesn't call us to think too much of ourselves, but I think the correct proper understanding is we need to have a proper understanding of ourselves, and that is the heart of what this exchange life that we're going to walk through this hour is. What is is. that proper
0: understanding of ourselves?
1: Well, I think it's this this list of things that we're going to go through. As we go through all of these lists, it's going to help us understand two realities, who we were before we are saved and now who we are after we've been saved. And what God did in between, and what God did in between, that, hey, so was, someone should make a chart of this. Someone thing. should make a
0: chart, unlike the one I'm looking at right now. All right, Jeffrey is my guest. I think that set the table beautifully. So we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our identity in Christ, who we were before we came to faith, what God did, and who we are today. We'll be right back. We're talking about our identity in Christ. This is going to be an amazing hour. As we've already got started, we're going to probably need an additional hour, Jeff. I'm just looking at the list of 27 things. We're not going to cover this in 45 <laughs> minutes, so let's uh, go at a nice pace.
1: Identity 101. Identity 101. There we go. Yeah. Well, so I thought we'd start with a by reading a passage from First Corinthians 6, and it says this. I'm, I'm going to read verse 9 through 11. And it says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see in this one passage here, this concept of there's an old self, this sinful self, and this, that's what some of you were, and now we've got this new self, this new identity that's washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, those descriptions are three of the things that are on the list. So, let's look at the first one on my list, and that is the simple fact that we have been born again. So if you remember the scene in John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and Jesus says this amazing line. He says, you must be born of water and of spirit. You must be born again. And, and Nicodemus is basically going, you know, what are you talking about? Well, in our old self, we are born of water. Clearly, that's a reference to our physical birth. But Jesus is talking about a second birth, about being born again, being born spiritually, being made alive to God is basically what that means. And so we're birthed again. So I've got this phrase, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you are born once, and that's the only birth you've experienced by water, Well, then you're going to experience a physical death and you are going to experience what God calls in Revelation, the second death, okay? Anyone's name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. He is thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death. If you're born twice, however, if you're born of water and of spirit, you will only die once. You will die physically, but he says of those who are born again, they will not be hurt by the second death. So born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. That's being born again. It's our rebirth. The next one. We are created in Christ. Wow. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So anyone in Christ has been made new by God. And that, I think, specifically, it's our, our state of being born again. We are now spiritually alive, but we now have a new self. God has done away with the old self. Remember, it's been crucified, Galatians 2.20, and he has now raised us, and we are a new creation. Made alive, so number three, made alive. We've literally moved from death to life. Many places in Scripture, it says things like we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We do not have life. But once you believe in Jesus, God has made you alive, alive with Christ. We have life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. That's the life right now. We have been made spiritually alive. It then goes into the next one, number four, of course, then it's eternal life. And I think this one, more people Christians can understand the concept as well as we can understand eternity, right, on this side of eternity or this side of glory. But as I was just expressing, if you are not saved, you will experience the second death, the lake of fire. Death, the wages of sin, is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, eternal life, and you think about it, is a really big deal. Who doesn't want to live forever? I mean, I think that the natural instinct of man's heart is self-preservation. Well, this is the ultimate self-preservation. If you want to live forever, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of God that comes to you. One of the things is everlasting life.
0: And Jeff, here's how he did it. We look at John four uh, five twenty four, Very Truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes who sent me has eternal life and will not be
1: judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Oh, there, there, it's all right there, isn't it? Yep. You were dead before, now you're alive, in, in today, right now, and you've received this thing called eternal life for all of eternity. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in
0: your transgressions and sins. Yeah. That's who you were. Yeah.
1: No, no longer. So you were dead. God has made you alive. And now you're alive. You were destined for the second death. But God has given you eternal life. And now you're going to live forever. Wow, that's good news. That is good news. We are called out of the darkness. This is This one's kind of cool because Scripture calls... Those that are not saved, uh, Ephesians 5 says they're in darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5 says they belong to the darkness. But God has called us out of the darkness and into the light, Ephesians 5, 8 says, so that now we are sons of light, sons of the day, and we have the light of life. John 1 says the light uh, has come into this world and But the world has not accepted it, right? But we who have believed have accepted it, and now we have become children of light because the true light of Christ is now in us.
0: Yeah, Jeff, let me just say, I've chewed on this Ephesians 5.8 a lot, because it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. So it doesn't sound like you were living in darkness. You were darkness.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is, uh, you, if you don't have light, if you, I, I, I actually kind of like that, that you were just in darkness. I mean, what better way to describe someone who's dead in their trespasses and sin, except they don't have any light. And the absence of light is darkness. Mm-hmm. So they are darkness. I just don't want you to think that you're you're a good person, but maybe you're
0: living in a little bit of darkness. No, no, no. You were once darkness.
1: Wow. And now you are light. Mm-hmm. Now you are light in the Lord. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that he made his light shine in you. So there's this concept in, in 2 Corinthians 4 where the minds of the lost are blinded. They can't see. But now he's... Enlightened our hearts first second corinthians four six and the light is in our hearts we the lost don't know God now we do know God that enlightenment has come to us i I love that word enlightened because there's so much depth there that says oh you you were you were ignorant of these things, you didn't understand them, but now we have been enlightened. That's how I see this one that he made his light shine. In us. Can I read 1 Peter 2 9? Yeah. But you are a chosen people, a royal
0: priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light.
1: Oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a couple verses here for each of these, but each one of these concepts is actually repeated. You know, in Scripture, in different ways, all over the place, and it's—it's. It's, uh, I think it's really cool. So, Second Corinthians four, four through six. By the way, it says that God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves are servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We've been enlightened. We now have the knowledge of God. And by the way, God wants us to use that light to enlighten others. Amen? So we are to be light in this world. We are to shine that light into the darkness and be lights in this dark world. You know, I don't know if you've looked around, but uh, it's a dark world out there. And we are to be lights in this dark
0: world. Jeff, so, if I can read Second Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Perfect. So we have to be in constant prayer that God would open the hearts of those whose hearts are closed and whose
1: eyes are blinded. And God wants us partnering with him to help him do that. Go figure. Satan's trying to keep people out of heaven. So he's working overtime to blind the people in this world. Don't turn to God. We want to make God attractive and by preaching the gospel to them. So um he gives sight. Um we were uh, we were blind and now we see. So this is kind of with this theme of light. It's uh blindness and say do you have to take a break because I want to read the story of the blind healing Jesus healing the blind man And Yeah, John we're going to have
0: to do that when we come back for okay. the break. Yeah. Jeff Dorn's my guest. We're continuing our study which we started today which I think we'll take part 2 coming up next, our identity in Christ. Who We Were, What God Did, and Who We Are Now. It's a wonderful study. I've made it available on the podcast, which comes out later after the show. That chart that I'm holding in my hand will be linked in the podcast. You'll be able to get your hands on it. So we'll take a short break and be right back with Jeff. Glad to be studying about our identity in Christ. It's always good to be reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ, and we can live out our lives knowing that Christ made the ultimate sacrifice, and the power that is in us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we are uh, in Him. We we abide in Him. We believe in Him, and we follow Him. And our allegiance is to Him. We're just talking about the many things of who we once were before coming to faith, what God did in our life, and who we are today as a result. Jeff, thanks for this study.
1: So far, I'm Mm -hmm. loving it. Let's pick up uh, where we last left off. So we're going to look at John chapter 9, where this is where Jesus heals the blind man. And verse 24, it says, The second time they, the Jewish leaders, summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus he replied, the, "the blind man who now is seen. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know: I was blind and now I see." Then they asked him, "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" And he answered, "I've already told you, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too?" And it's like I just love that guy. So, but the point is that we before we are saved, are blind. We just don't see spiritual things. We don't see God. We can't understand the things of God. And we can't discern spiritual things. We don't understand the truth. And now that we're saved, what has God done? He has opened our eyes. He has given us sight, Acts 26, 18. And now we can see. Oh, I think that's beautiful. Rich, this is so cool. Scripture says that before we're saved, we are what he describes as being poor. And after we're saved, he says we are rich. Now, clearly, he's not talking about material poverty and material riches because there's, there's actually a cool picture of this in Revelation. To the church in Laodicea, it says to them, you think you're rich. And they were a wealthy city, and they had many material blessings. But Jesus says to them, you do not realize that you are, actually he says a long list of things, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But they are poor. And I think that's a picture of those at Laodicea being unsaved. They are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Well, we just talked about the blind one. So a blind Using the word blind or poor or even naked, which we'll talk about in a little bit, refers to spiritual truths that they are unsaved. Jeff, doesn't that verse end with poor, blind, naked, wretched, and in need of a Savior? Uh, Not specifically in need of a Savior. It does say buy from me. Yeah. Which is a, a way of saying you need to believe and be saved. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so, for that. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't specifically say you need a savior. Okay. I didn't think it did, but I, I, I had something in my head very similar to that. Yeah. Well, that's where he goes. I stand at the door, and knock. Of course. Right. Of course. Yes. And and that is. Uh, some people say that's not a salvation verse. I think it's absolutely a salvation verse. That God is knocking on the on the door of every single person's heart, and He says, "Whoever opens that door." a picture of faith, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. Yeah, weren't the churches in Laodicea kind of dead and he was inviting himself into their community? Absolutely. Open your door and I will come in and be with you. Yes. Now the church in Smyrna, he says, you think you're poor, but you're really rich. So now Smyrna was not a wealthy city. They thought they were poor in their poverty, um, but God was really saying, no, you're rich, you're saved, you have all the riches. And in fact, Paul goes on to describe our richness in Christ as, uh, he says, for example, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10. Can you pull up 2 Corinthians 6.10 for me and and read it? I don't have it here. I thought I had it in my notes, but I don't. But he says that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Wow. We have been so blessed. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Did you get it? Yeah, I did. Second Corinthians six ten.
0: Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having
1: nothing and yet possessing everything. Oh, possessing everything. Everything. If you are in Christ Jesus, you, your identity is that you literally possess everything. And we see this once you read the back of the book, because I think the fullness of this idea of possessing everything comes at the back of the book where it says in Revelation 21, he who overcomes will inherit all of this. What is all of this? Well, it's the new heaven, the new earth, new Jerusalem. It's everything. And we, that is our inheritance. Crazy. That's good. That is good. Yeah, that's really good clothed. One of the descriptions we just read in the Church of Laodicea was that they were naked. Well, one of the cool pictures, actually from Genesis in the Garden of Eden, when God clothed Adam and Eve, this, this, this imagery of being clothed is carried through all the way to the end of the book. In Revelation, it says, the bride has made herself ready, dressed in fine linens, white and clean. So we see the bride of Christ clothed in this fine linen. Well, that's one of the things that God says. Before you're saved, you are naked. God clothes you, 2 Corinthians 5, 3, and now we are dressed in fine linen. We are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So, one of the things that um, this clothing represents is the righteousness that God has imputed on you as a believer. And now when he sees you, he literally sees the righteousness of Christ, which is another one we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, and
0: I'll tell you something the nakedness says about the garden, which is it's not Minnesota winters.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't you wholeheartedly agree? It it was. I just finished a class on Genesis, and uh, I believe the the earth was perfect, uh, kind of a terrarium environment, Uh, Scripture seems to indicate that it didn't even rain in the Garden of Eden, but uh, that it was just a perfect environment. And so there was no need to dress for warmth, and they were not shameful of their nakedness. And uh, so, yeah, we just talked all about that this semester in my Genesis class. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, Let's move. Is that
0: it for that? Yep,
1: okay. yeah, clothed, yeah. Clothed, um, yeah, dressed in white, Revelation 3-4,
0: yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. It's, a, it's a basically a theme throughout Scripture to understand God hath clothed you. So uh, next one, adopted as his sons. You know, um, I, I mention this often because it is one of the big lies of the world, that you and you hear it all the time, that, oh, we are all God's children. And the biblical reality is that all people are not children of God. All people are made in the image of God, but only those who believe are adopted into the family of God and given the right to become children of God. So before you are saved, Scripture actually describes that you are the father as the devil, right? You are you are the child of the devil. First John three ten says. I I don't recommend starting an evangelistic conversation that way. Hey, you know, your father is the devil. But that's literally who they belong to. That's who they are are under. And Scripture says they are the devil's children. But once you believe and are saved, you're adopted into his into sonship, so that God is now our Father, Romans one seven, and we are now children of God, first John. 310. Cool. We are children of the Most High God. Let
0: me, I'm looking for John eight Let's see. You belong to your father, the devil, who, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Hmm.
1: No further questions, Your Honor. That is it, and that's who the. And if you're lost, that's who you belong to. And of course, the other passage, Jeff, that's
0: so chilling to me, and I have it memorized. But I just want to double check: is uh, Second Timothy two twenty-six that says? um, Oh wait. Okay. No. um, um, Yeah, Second Timothy two twenty-six. And it says... Um, Did show, you find it? Killing the momentum here, aren't yeah. I? Yeah. <laughs> Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to
1: do his will. You know, I think if we saw the world as prisoners of the devil. And, uh, and, and we are the, you know, the SWAT team yeah. or the, the Rangers yep. who have the ability the, the seals, and the knowledge the and the skills, seals. Navy SEALs yes. there. Yeah. Navy SEALs. And, uh, to rescue them, um, boy, that would maybe change our approach to, to, uh, Witnessing to the lost and sharing the gospel with those who are held captive and uh, ensnared in the devil's traps. They're they are held prisoners. They're in bondage. They're slaves. We're going to get to another one in a bit where it calls people slaves. To, um, so, yeah, and, and we have the key. I should say we know the key. Mm-hmm. Well, we have the key. We have Christ. Right. We know the door. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. We know the that the narrow gate, the small road that leads to eternal life is Christ. So, yeah, good word. We are made, uh, we did that, made, uh, no, made heirs. So once we are children, once we are given the right to become children of God, once we are adopted into their family, children have an inheritance. And that's actually what Galatians 4, 7 says, that we have been made heirs, made heirs with God, and co-heirs with Christ. Eight, Romans 8.17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Cool. We have an inheritance. What is that inheritance? I just mentioned it with the last one that our inheritance is everything. It's the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and eternal life with God. That's I've, your inheritance. I've got the Galatians four, seven yeah, verse
0: it. up for you. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir.
1: Cool. An heir with an inheritance. Whoa. I like that. That's good news. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, The next one. There are a number of places where unbelievers are described as being apart from God or separated from God or separated with Christ. And once you believe and are saved— Um, Philippians 2.1 says it this way, that we are united with Christ, or Ephesians 1.13 says we are included in Christ. And so now we are in Christ, or one with Christ, Galatians 3.28. This in Christ, by the way, I did a search today because I just wanted to know how many times it appears in the New Testament. 88 times Paul uses this phrase, in Christ. It's one of his most favorite phrases to describe believers, and 88 times he says, in Christ. Therefore, Romans eight one. therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Well, we are literally united with Christ. And if we remember what Jesus said, he predicted this unity. In John 17, which is often called his high priestly prayer, he says, verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, meaning the church, just as you and I are one, meaning Christ and God are one, as you are in me, In the Father, and I am in you. So we are literally united with Christ, who's united with God. We have been invited into this union with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoa.
0: It's spectacular. Such good news. I love talking good news. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. More good news. With my guest, Jeff Verdorn, we're talking about our identity in Christ. He put this lovely chart together, which will be available in the link on the podcast. Go to myfaithradio.com after the show. You can pick it up there. We'll take a very short break and be back. Nothing but good news today with Jeff Dorn. We're talking about our identity in Christ, who we were, what God did, and who we are today. And we are heirs. We are seated with him. A powerful reminder. We have been adopted as his sons. We've been clothed. We've become rich. Our eyes have been open; We've mm-hmm. been called out of darkness. If you miss any of this, please go to myfaithradio.com in the afternoons with Bill's show page, and you will find this podcast, including a link to the chart I'm talking about.
1: All right, Jeff. We got only uh, about 8 minutes. Let's get going. Yeah, we're going to we are going to need a part 2. Good. Yeah, that we was are. a good idea. So, uh the next one is to brought to be brought near Ephesians 2:13. So uh, Ephesians 2:13 says that we are far away. Un- man by himself is far away from God. Ephesians 4 says that we're separated from God. I love Colossians 1:20 that says that the world is alienated from God. Um, you are you are far from God, but God has brought us near in faith to him so that now we have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, like we were talking about in this last one. We have been united in this triune relationship with them. And God says now that he's brought us near, now that you have fellowship with me, and I just I have to mention this one promise that once you've been brought near to God, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It is this concept that once you've been united with Christ, by the way, all of these proclaim the truth that we have assurance of salvation, by the way. I mean, each and every one of these has a component of it that says once you have been, once God has made you this thing, given you eternal life, called you out of darkness into light, uh, made you rich, clothed you, and so on. It is, there is a underlying declaration that it's never going to be undone. It's never going to be undone. The last one on our list is, is I think, yeah, is the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit. And there's this powerful verse in Ephesians 1 that says, now that you have the Holy Spirit, he is a deposit guaranteeing this inheritance that we were just talking about. So each one of these things that we are now in Christ, think about this underlying truth that it will never be undone. God will not undo what he has done. And one of those things is that he says in, in, in Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Amen. Amen to that. Reconciled. So this this concept of being brought near brings up this whole next concept of being reconciled to God. So we've already mentioned a couple of these lost phrases that, that people who are not saved are called, literally called God's enemies in Romans 5:10 they are opposed to God they are pagan they belong to the world and to the devil as we talked about before but God says that we have been reconciled to him so that now instead of being enemies of God we are friends of God James 2:23 we are people belonging to God and we belong to Christ we've now been reconciled to him and now that we have received this reconciliation. In fact, let me read Romans 5.10. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We've been reconciled. And now that we've been reconciled, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, just like we have been made light in him. We are then to be light into this world so too that now that we've been reconciled to him, we should be reconciling others to God. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation.
0: I love Ephesians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus
1: have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yeah, I mean, I think that is exactly what living the crucified life, if we're trying to understand this. If we are truly trying to understand this crucified life, if you are dead, (laughs) your old self is dead, what, and that's your old sinful self, has now been crucified, it's gone, it's done, it's dead and buried, then how can we live in it any longer, what you just said? Romans 6 actually says it this way. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So I know that there are some that will say, well, wait a minute, what we were talking about earlier. Well, what do you mean we don't need to follow the rules? Isn't Christianity all about obedience? the rules and this obedience to God and the obedience to the rules. It's, It's not what I'm describing is this radical concept that, no, that's exactly what I'm saying Christianity isn't. Christianity is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. I have a list that I created for one of my classes of all the do's and don'ts in the New Testament. It's like five pages long. Now, I can't remember five pages of do's and don'ts, let alone tried to do them. But can I remember one in which God says all the laws and the prophets are summarized in this one love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. And love, and the second is like it love others as themselves. I think as we live by the Spirit. We do not gratify the desires of our flesh. I think all the do's and don'ts in Scripture in the New Testament is what a Christian's life should look like as we understand our identity in Christ and abide in Him and trust in Him, fixing our eyes on Him, loving Him with all of our hearts and soul and strength. If you're trying to do it and, and live your life by doing all the do's and don'ts, it's like I, I tell people, good luck with that. Living the Christian life isn't hard. Uh it's impossible. Only Christ can do it. And if we are going to start living in that power, in the resurrected power of Christ, I mean, God says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. That is the power in which we live our lives in this world. The opposite of not following the rules is not habitual sin, Right? God, Romans 6 actually starts with that question. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do you see the crucified life right there in that mm-hmm. passage? We've died to it. We're dead to sin. So this idea of living this crucified life is, is I tell you. Um, general, uh, not general. Major Ian Thomas. I just gave him a field promotion right here on the radio. <laughs> um, Major Ian Thomas. He was the founder of Torchbearers and uh, bought Cape and Ramp in England. He started a ministry of, of after World War II, buying this castle and and training youth, both British youth and German youth, bringing them together and bringing reconciliation to these two groups of, of young kids after World War II and uh, has an amazing ministry to this day called Torchbearers, he said this, and this is Galatians 2.20, all over. He said, Christian living is not a method or a technique. It is an entirely different revolutionary principle of life. It is the principle of an exchanged life. Not I, but Christ lives in me.
0: Very nice, Jeff. We've got a nice uh, nice start. I thought we'd cover this in an hour, but I was wrong, and Rosie suggested at least two hours, and we always listen to her. So we're going to have to do part two next time we get together.
1: Well, and we got about halfway through, so that's great.
0: It's perfect timing, and it's really been a great uh, study, and I'm looking forward to it. We've put the notes, Jeff's chart, in the podcast. So if you go to the podcast tonight, it should be linked in there. You can click on that. Just maybe don't go through all of it because we want to save some for next time you're here, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So today, by the way, I I, I posted this. It's kind of fun. Little fact. Today's December 21st is the shortest day of the year, but today is the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century. Oh, wow. Kind of cool.
0: Fun facts, known, odd facts known by few, <laughs> and you come up with it. Random. Thanks, Jeff. All right. That's all the time we have for today. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, my guest tomorrow and spending time with you. I've got... David Wheaton, and then Dr. Amanda Porter is going to talk about her book, Dear Anxiety, I'm Breaking Up With You. And then Peter Kapsner and I are going to talk to Ian Paul from all the way across in the U.K. We're going to have a fascinating look at Luke chapter 2. You're not going to want to miss it. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.